Thank you, Ruth and Gail and Gary and Lauren and Margaret and Daniel. God bless you. Turn to one verse, Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, please. God's great and glorious gospel, part two. We covered quite a bit of ground last week. We want to move on, but we'll try and give you a recap, a short recap of where we are before we move on. Matthew's Gospel 24 and verse 14. The Lord Jesus is the speaker and he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Turn with me also to First Peter, please. First Peter and chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and a couple of verses here. Verse 9, verse 10. Peter says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray, Father. We ask you now in your name, the name of your Son, which you have given to him, the name of Jesus, that you would now settle our hearts and open up, Lord, our hearts to receive your word. Enable us, Lord, to understand. And we pray in Jesus' name that your people would leave here knowing their God and who they are, called by you, redeemed. And we ask you, Father, now to speak to every heart and into every life. And Father, we ask you to glorify your Son in all things and through us. For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it and for his glory. Amen. Amen. God's great and glorious gospel. In part one, we looked at um, quite a bit, as I said, and well, to give you a short recap so as we can move on. But when the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 14 says that the, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all nations, the gospel of the kingdom is salvation and redemption. And also the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. The salvation of uh, or the gospel of the kingdom is also not only the, the the salvation message, but the gospel of the kingdom is an identity message of national identity and also individual identity of God's people. The gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all nations, and Jesus says, "Then the end will come." And I think when we look at it, we find that the end is nigh. It's even at the doors. That is at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, for the first time ever in the Vatican, they had uh, Islamic prayers being said in the Vatican. First time ever. They had Judaism being practiced beside Popery as well. They were all together. Hinduism was there. Mormonism was there. And listen, Joel Osteen was there. Who knows Joel Osteen? Thank the Lord there's only a few. Don't go look at him. He was there. And they were all in, bowing at the feet of the Pope and praying together in an ecumenical service. Now this is the drawing of Antichrist. This is the drawing of a, a one world government. This is the drawing of different faiths together. And lo and behold, it happened to be on Pentecost Sunday, the day that is marked for the birth of the church as we know it. Not the church in the wilderness of Israel, but that which has carried on to the body of Christ that we have spoken of last week. Strange is it not that this is happening. We are living in the last of the last days, brothers and sisters. You're living in the last of the last days. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to be up and doing 
to see people reached with the gospel, to see people saved, to hear the gospel preached again, to see people prayed for, to see the Lord glorified in our nation. For this nation, and we showed you last week, this nation is a backslidden nation. Ephraim is a backslidden heifer. And this nation has slidden away from Almighty God. It's an apostate nation and it's an apostate church. And this nation needs men and women to stand up again and to be counted for Christ. We looked last week and told you, went through quite a bit at how Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had became known as Israel, had 12 sons. One of the sons was called Judah. That's where we get the derivative name Jew from, from that one name, Judah. And we looked at that, and I can't go through it all, but in those, the 12 sons had 12 tribes. And after their bondage in Egypt and being brought out and into the promised land and read about them in the desert and entering the promised land and then the, the times of the judges when you had the like of Samson and others. And then they wanted a king and they got Saul, but it wasn't the one that God had wanted for them and he chose David. David had a son called Solomon. And Solomon uh, had many wives, strange women they called them. And he had many wives and brought great sin into Israel. And God said he would separate the kingdom. And he said it was from him. Because God had a great plan. And God had a great purpose for it. And it was that the gospel of the kingdom would go throughout the nation of the world. And that many would be brought in under the new covenant that would come. The everlasting covenant of blood. That is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. God seen a way ahead in time. Ahijah the prophet uh, catches uh, Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, who was coming up through the ranks and Ahijah the prophet takes his garment and rips it into 12 pieces and gives Jeroboam 10 pieces and says that he's going, God will rend the kingdom of Solomon and he will give 10 pieces, one for every tribe, to Jeroboam. Jeroboam would receive 10 tribes and be the leader of the 10 tribes. Two pieces of cloth are left from the garment. And those two pieces would represent two tribes given to the south, which would be Judah and Benjamin. You remember Benjamin? The Lord says he would give a tribe to be a light always before uh, the house of David, which is from Judah. And he says he would give Benjamin a light to go before him. And Benjamin became known as the light-bearing tribe. And then whenever we see them in the land and they're separated into two kingdoms, Solomon's son Rehoboam is sitting in Jerusalem as the king. And in Samaria, in the northern ten tribe kingdom, we find that the reign of kings like King Ahab with his wife Jezebel and many others were very wicked and very grossly immoral before the Lord. And the Lord sent Amos the prophet. And the Lord sent Elijah and Elisha. And the Lord sent prophets like that, Hosea, unto them to prophesy, telling them to turn from their ways, to turn from their sin. But they wouldn't and they didn't. And God sent the Assyrians in 721 BC, who took them away captive. We find them in Halath and Habor, uh, by the the cities of the Medes and the Persians. And we, we lose them, as it were, in history. They never return back again. 120 years or so later, we're told that that southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, they're taken away into Babylon. And before they're taken away, we read Jeremiah. And when they're taken into Babylon, we read of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Read those three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. We read of Daniel in the lion's den. Then we start reading of Ezekiel in later years, starting to write to Israel wherever they were scattered and found, both near and far. We looked at Daniel, how Daniel prayed for the inhabitants of Jerusalem and, uh, and for, for Judea or Judah and for all Israel that are near and that are afar off, uh, even though as many as the Lord has cast out into all the countries of the world. We looked at this scattering and how they migrated through the Caucasus Mountains and over the Dariel Pass, as it's known, and they started going westward. And he came right over, although the countries are not the same then as they were today. It was a, more like a wilderness wasteland with, with a, a more of a broad face area. 
And they came over where Saxony is today, in Germany, and up into Scandinavia. And some went down into south of Spain, where Zaragoza is. And some came right over into Ireland, and others came over into Britain, and into Scandinavia. They lost their names, and their names changed throughout time. Became known as Angles and Saxons and Jutes. Became known as the Celts as well. And they all migrated over. And our forefathers are the self-same people. So the Lord had a remedy for salvation. And the Lord had a plan. And the Lord had a purpose. And the Lord said that he would scatter the house of Israel, which is the ten-tribe northern kingdom. And we looked at it last week in the book of Amos chapter 9. And in Amos chapter 9, the Lord said that he would scatter Israel as a grain that is scattered And he said that he would gather them as though they were in a sieve. Let me just read this one verse from Amos chapter 9 and verse 9. For oh, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel, listen, among the nations, like as a corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain, notice the term, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the ground. In other words, he says, they may be lost to mankind, but they're never lost to me. They became gentilized and heathenized and they became, uh, they became so uh, uh, spiritually adulterous that God had to take them out and scatter them. And they were through all of those nations. Now listen, last week we looked at how the, uh, Peter writes in First Peter, or First Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, and James writes in, in James chapter 1 and verse 1 also. And he mentioned the uh, strangers scattered, or James mentions the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Then we looked at how John 11, uh, the Caiaphas the high priest talked about those who were scattered, those who were sent away in punishment. And that word simply gives the idea, listen to the term, of one picking up a handful of grain and throwing it in a certain direction. Let me say it again. One picking up a handful of grain and throwing it in a certain direction. And God said to Amos, who was of the southern kingdom of Judah, go up and prophesy against your brethren, the house of Israel, and tell their king in their wickedness, I will scatter them like corn is sifted in a sieve and scattered throughout the nations. And that's what the Lord did. That's what Peter writes about. That's what James writes about. And that's even what old Caiaphas, the old retrobate, that old high priest in Jerusalem wrote about, about the scattering like corn has been scattered. Here's something else it means. It gives the idea to take a handful of corn or wheat and to throw it into the air. And as it flow, throws into the air, the heaviness of the real kernels of corn falls back down upon the ground. And when it falls back down upon the ground, as it's blowing through the wind, as it goes, the wind carries the chaff. It carries the dirt. It carries the rubbish. And then it is gathered together as pure corn into the garner. And that's the idea of the Lord scattering, sieving in a sieve together again his people. And that's what the Lord has done throughout time. Now stay with me. That's been a lot for you to take in. For last week we also talked about the prodigal son who took his living, his, his, his inheritance as it were, and spent his living that he received from his father riotously, and he lived it up, and he partied to life. He had backslidden. He was dead, as it were, to his father. Yet in his flesh, he was a living son. And we're told that that uh, younger son, the prodigal son, if you want, is a type of the house of Israel, who was scattered and spent his inheritance became a nothing and a no one in the land until he came to himself through the preaching of the gospel and the Christian nations of the West have been founded upon that. Here's something I want to ask you. Why did the gospel go west and not east? Why did the gospel go west and not east? Why not China? Thomas for a while went to India, but there were part Hebrews in India under Keturah. Why, why did the gospel go west? Let me tell you why the gospel went west. 
One, because the Lord told Abraham, your seed shall spread first to the west. That's why. And then to the east, the north, and the south. He says it would spread west first. Paul went to preach to the east. And the Holy Ghost stops him and sends him to the west. And the Lord knew where they had went. And as the gospel went seeking them, people heard of the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful, a wonderful plan of redemption and salvation indeed. The prodigal son wasted his substance with riotous living. The word wasted is the exact same word which means he took his substance and he threw it up in the air as though it meant nothing to him like a grain of wheat. It's the exact same Greek word. So Peter, he calls the strangers scattered abroad in 1 Peter chapter 1. And the word for strangers is parapidamos. And it means a sojourner in a strange place. Peter was saying, use our sojourners. You have left this place. You were scattered from this place. You were taken from this place. And you're in a strange, you're a stranger in a strange place. Let's look at something for a moment. First Peter chapter 1 verse 9. But ye, he says, this is who he's speaking to. But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Notice it again. What are they? Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, and a peculiar people. Four things of identification for those who have come to faith from this people. First of all, they were a chosen generation. The word here for chosen is electos. You are the elect people of God, he says. You are God's choice. You are God's election. You are those that God knew from before the foundation of the world and hath chosen you to be a people unto himself, he says. In fact, in 2 Peter, he writes to those of like precious faith. For Peter knew who he was in Christ. He are a chosen generation. The word generation is the word genos. And the word genos doesn't mean a period of time. For, for example, those who have lived in a certain period of time, then their fathers come and there's another generation and another. The word here for generation does not mean that. It means kindred, family, or stock. He says, you are an elect stock. God knew you. God has chosen you. God has called you. And God has redeemed you. That's what he's saying. Secondly, he says, you're a royal priesthood. The royal priesthood, the word royal here is the word basileos. The word basileos gives the idea of a king's palace or the king's court. Now try to get this if you can. He's saying, you who have been called by this wonderful, glorious gospel. He says, you who have come to faith in Christ. You who have been redeemed with precious blood. You are the royal palace of God in the earth. That's what he's saying to you and I this evening. You are the king's court. You're the one in whom the king lives, he says. You're the one who portrays and portrays all that the king is. You are the king's court. You are the king's palace. You are the king's sons and daughters. That's the idea of Basilios. Let me show you another one for this word, which means royal. Turn with me to Romans, please. A bit of a Bible study for you. Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. I want to show this word to you for a moment, just to try and strengthen this word in your mind and in your heart. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, says, For by one man's offense, death reigned, by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now let your eye just run on down to the very last verse, 21. That, I, that as sin hath reigned unto death, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life 
by Jesus Christ our Lord. See the word there in verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. And see the word there in verse 21 again. It says, talks of the righteous reign of Christ in verse 17. Then verse 21, sin hath reigned unto death. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The word there for reign is the word basilio. And it gives the idea, it personifies sin. It personifies death itself, as though death is a monarch, as though death is a king, as though death is a royal, as though death is a person, as though sin is a monarch, a royal, and a king. And he says, because of Adam being the federal head of Adam kind, because he sinned and fell, he says, death now reigns like a monarch in every single one of us. And sin has come into our lives And sin reigns like a monarch over our life and brings us to the grave and keeps us in separation between you and your God. That's the idea of it. But because Christ has come, we're told in verse 17, much more, notice not the same, much more, they which receive abundance of grace. Notice the words, mark it down. Get it into your spirit. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Not self-righteousness, not works of righteousness, but the gift of righteousness shall reign by one Jesus Christ. The abundance of God's grace in the calling of his scattered wheat or seed in the earth. The abundance of the glorious gospel of saving grace came to our ears and we heard and thy Christ reigns in our hearts and he reigns in our life and Christ is coming to rule and to reign over all the earth. He has conquered sin and death. He has conquered the grave for us and so no longer is death a monarch. No longer is sin the monarch over your life but through Christ's gift of righteousness And because of his abundance of grace in our life, you and I are born again of the Spirit. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. We are righteous before the Father. And we are justified in his sight in Christ. It's not a wonderful gospel. It's not a wonderful gospel that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Peter says, you're a royal priesthood. It's the word here he says, the king's domain is you. Brother, did you hear that? Sister, did you hear that? The king's domain, the king's palace, the king's court is you and me. Secondly, it says we are a holy nation. The word holy is hagaios. And the word nation is the word ethnos. It means uh, similar to the genos as you are a people, uh, like a nation, a people, not like a, a grouping together of different minds and hearts, but an actual tribal nation. That's what it gives the idea of. People of the same uh, a drawing, the same, the same lineage. He says, and you're holy. What makes us holy? What makes you holy? I tell you what makes us holy the Holy Ghost. There's no good thing dwells in me, Paul says, that is in my flesh, but the Holy Spirit. And the only way a man and a woman can be holy in the sight of God is by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God into their life and coming under the fountain of his precious shed blood. Fourthly and quickly, we are a peculiar people unto God. A peculiar people. And I know in God's church... (laughs) There is an awful lot of peculiar people, some a little more peculiar than others. But we are a peculiar people, not only in our church, in our nation, there's an awful lot of peculiar people. But the word here for peculiar means you are God's own. That's what it means. You are God's own. The very strength of this term is given in Isaiah 43 and verse 12. Listen to what the Lord said about Israel. Listen to this. 
And I'm speaking of Israel, I'm not talking about a, a couple of million Jews in Palestine now. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about us. But listen to what he says to ancient Israel. Notice this. He says in Isaiah 43 and verse 12, he says, This people have I formed for myself. And that's the ownership of God upon us. This people have I formed for myself. You are a peculiar people. Listen to the words that Peter is taking from where? Exodus chapter 19. And I'll just read a verse or two just to show you where we're coming from here tonight. Exodus chapter 19. And if you, if you want to run your eye down to it, listen to what the Lord says. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my commandment, my covenant rather, then ye shall be, notice, a peculiar treasure. Take a note of the words. Ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Notice, above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Did you notice that? A kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Exactly what Peter says to the strangers. Now to you and I, the Lord has told us what he thinks of us and who we are. Here is something to take note of. The royal priesthood, the king's court. The word priesthood here gives the idea of the high priest who goes in behind the curtain once a year. To make an atonement offering for the sins of Israel. But now, church, listen. But now, you and I, according to the book of Revelation, we are told that there is a group who will be singing and worshipping and praising the Lord, saying unto him who hath loved us and washed us from our sins, listen, in his own blood, listen, and hath made us kings and priests unto our God. See, you're a, a priesthood where we go before God any time, any place, anywhere, and he is building us up and calling his people. So you're a peculiar treasure, a peculiar people here in Exodus 19 and 5. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 as well then. Matthew chapter 13. I would mark Matthew 13 for the Lord willing. We will go back to this chapter again. Matthew chapter 13. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. And he gives us an idea of this glorious gospel and the scattering of the people of Israel and the regathering, the the gospel coming and saving grace. Matthew 13 and verse 44, please. Listen to what Jesus says. And again... The kingdom of heaven is like unto, notice, a treasure. Take note there, a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth it. And for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. What is the treasure? Exodus 19 tells us Israel is the treasure. But what is the field? The Lord Jesus tells us what the field is. The Lord Jesus tells us of the people being scattered. Um, If you let your eye run up, the verse 38, we'll come back to this in a moment, but look at verse 38. The Lord Jesus telling of the parable of the seed being sown in the field, he says, the field is the world. Verse 38, the field is the world. So if the field is the world and the treasure is Israel, Israel is hidden in the world But God sends the Lord Jesus to find it in the earth and he gives all he has to redeem it. Praise his name, he died on Calvary's cross for us. The church is here too, notice this. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now you're told the Lord Jesus is the pearl of great price. I do not, I, I, I do not uh, dispute that. He, he's beyond that price. But the pearl of great price, tell me something. 
Did you find Christ or did Christ find you? Christ found us. He found us. Did you give all for Christ or did Christ give all for you? Christ gave all for you when he died on the cross. Herein is the church. How is the pearl the church? I'll tell you how the pearl is the church. Because a pearl comes from an oyster and a a pearl is only fashioned and formed, listen, in the wounds of the oyster. A pearl is made from wounds. And you and I are called forth with like precious faith, called from the wounds of Christ himself, from his hands and his feet and his riven side. Here we have the church. Now notice with me, please. Let's go back to what we were saying. In 1 Peter chapter 18, Mark, Matthew 13 for a moment, please. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter blows away, as I, if I could call it that, any merit of Jewish ritual. Any merit of Judaism is blown right out of the water. Any traditions of the oral law is taken right out of sight. Christ destroys it in front of them. And let me say that it's the same for any church ritual, any denominational ritual, or any good works from any man or woman. He says in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1, For as much then as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, notice, from your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers. How were we redeemed? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Christ had a number given to him in eternity had a people given to him. In the mind of the Father, the Son would be born. In the mind of the Father, the Son would come. In the mind of the Father, he had given you and I to his Son. And eternity past it happens. And when Christ is born, you and I are now drawn by this glorious gospel. Here we have a wonderful truth from the word of God. We're redeemed with precious blood of the Lamb. And verse 23 says this, Being born again. Now take note of this. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. How are you and I born again? How are you and I saved? By the preaching of the gospel. By the quickening of the spirit. By the receiving of the word. By the growing of Christ in our life. Acceptance of his Blood sacrifice once and for all, never to be repeated again. We're born again of incorruptible seed. That incorruptible seed is the word of God. Notice this. Israel are scattered now. Coming through the nations of the West. Or through the West, forming nations in the West. And the Lord knew exactly where every one of us would be. And he says in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 16. Notice this. He says, behold, I will send for many fishers. Take note of that. I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish for them. And after will I send hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill. And out of the holes of the rocks. (laughs) That's where they had to hunt me from. The hole of the rock. They had to hunt me from a pit. They had to hunt me from a life of despair. The Lord says I'll send fishers. And I'll send hunters after them. And the early apostles. When the Holy Ghost came in the day of Pentecost. Were sent forth. And they arrived on these shores. And they preached the gospel to us. And many were converted to Christ. Lord has sent out fishers. He sent out hunters. Hunters over land, fishers over sea to seek them out. Now listen, when Jesus came to the shores of Galilee and found Peter and Andrew and James and John, 
What were the words that he shouted to them? Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. He was fulfilling Jeremiah 16 and 16. I will send fishers after them. Powerful, isn't it? Absolutely powerful. We told you Benjamin, where most of the, the, uh, the 12 apostles were of Benjamin, at least 10 were that we're nearly sure of. One may have been Levi, which was Matthew, and old Judas the blackguard, the, the old betrayer, was of, of Jury himself, of, at the most a Judite. And we're told that those people, Paul the Apostle, he says he's off the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that light-bearing tribe? And they came holding forth the word of life. Says they preached Christ unto them. And Christ unto them. They preached Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Almighty God. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. And he was a God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Almighty God of flesh. They preached his death, burial, and resurrection. And people were hearing of this marvelous Christ. In the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, Hosea uh, is a type of Yahweh or Jehovah. And he marries a woman. He's sent to marry a woman called Gomer. And it's a, a, a tale from, or a story from the house of Israel before their captivity. And the Lord says, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a woman of whoredoms. I'm not talking about the heathen round about you now, Hosea. I'm not talking about the Assyrian or the Syrian or I'm not talking about the Hittite. I'm not talking about the Midianites. He says, I'm telling you, not even the Egyptians. Go to the house of Israel for gross is their sin and their idolatry. And take a woman, he says, and marry her. And she is like unto the house of Israel. And Hosea is like unto Jehovah or Yahweh. And he marries her and the woman becomes unfaithful to him. She has other partners and other husbands. And the Lord says that Hosea could send her away. And Hosea sends her away. And then the Lord says, go and seek her out and to lure her back to your bosom. And here shows Jehovah. He goes out and he seeks out. He seeks out his wife. He seeks out his bride. He seeks her out and he allures her. And it's the same when the scattering of the house of Israel, the Lord says, I am like Hosea. The faithful husband, I am like Hosea, and she is like unfaithful, ten-tried northern Israel. He says, now you've been sent out, but I will seek you out, and I will bring you in again. That's what this story's about. He says, you're not my people. We want to show you something for a moment. Listen to what he says in Hosea chapter i tell you what, let's turn to it briefly if you can with me for a moment. Turn to the little book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, please. And let your eye run down just to... This could take all night, but we'll not do that. Hosea, the Lord says, in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, Say ye unto your brethren, notice, Ami, and say to your sisters, Ruhamah, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. Notice, and I will, notice now, take note, mark it down. And I will not have mercy upon her children. Notice that, for they be the children of whoredoms. 
For her mother hath played the harlot, and she hath conceived him, and hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread, and my water, and my wool, and my flax, mine oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her up thy ways with thorns, and will make a, and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. Here the Lord is saying, Israel will be scattered. They'll lose their identity. They'll not know who they are. They'll become gentilized. They'll become heathen. Everybody will be looking for them. But I alone will know them. I'll hedge up her ways. I'll distract her from her past. And she'll not know who she is. But God says, but I know who they are. I will send fishers and hunters. Chapter 2, verse 14, for time's sake. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. That's Jehovah saying that to the scattered house of Israel. Therefore, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and I will speak comfortably unto her. Notice where she is in the wilderness. When you go into the book of Revelation, it starts talking about the woman clothed with the sun sun at her head and the moon at her feet and Rome tries to take it it's the church of Rome and the church the Protestant church say well this maybe be the church this is the woman in the wilderness here that's speaking of this is Israel whereas the wilderness it was the west it was what was known as the wilderness of what we would have Europe today and the Lord says that he would notice I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness notice and speak comfortably Onto her. See the word here for comfortably. It's the word live. That's where you get the word heart. Your heart. It's the word, the Hebrew word is live. And it means I will speak to the inner man, the inner woman. I will speak to the mind, to the heart. I will speak to their inner parts, inward parts. I will speak to their soul. I will speak to their conscience. I will speak to their understanding. I will speak to their seat of appetites, their emotions, their passions, and I'll speak to all their thinking. And that's what Jehovah says. I will speak to her and tell her that I love her and show her that I, I love her. And I will speak. And how did he speak? It was the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. It's alluring our minds. It's drawing our hearts. It's what reached us. And it came right across into the British Isles. And it goes right around the world. This gospel of grace. This gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Speaking comfortably unto you and I saying you're lost you're hopeless, you're dead, you're lifeless, you're degenerate in your sin, you're the total depravity of human nature and inability to save yourself. But Christ has died for you. Christ loves you. What a glorious message. What a great and glorious gospel. God says, I'll send them forth, fishers and hunters across land, and see, speak to their hearts. This new covenant, you'll read about it in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 31, 33 rather. And you read about it in Hebrews 8, and you read about it in Hebrews 10. The new covenant made with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. And all those who will come under that covenant is the covenant of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the covenant that's written in our hearts. He says, I will walk in them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is this glorious gospel we have this evening. This is this wonderful truth of God. And Britain has thrown out the things of God. Notice this. Let me try and round this up. We'll have to do a third evening on this. There's just so much. Let me try and round this up for you. Go with me again to Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13. I know there's a lot in that. I can see it all. I know it all off by heart. I can see it. I can, uh, my heart rejoices in it because I can see God's great masterpiece and his master plan. And it's hard to get into your spirit sometimes. But if you can catch this, you say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. A wonderful saviour. Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13 again, please. 
Now, we'll not read this for time's sake, but in Matthew chapter 13, let your eye run down to verse 3. And he spake many things, that is the Lord Jesus, unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places. Now, let your eye run down to verse 7. Some fell among thorns. Verse 8, but other fell in good ground. Now, notice he's sowing, he's sowing seed. Verse 18, it says, Hear therefore the parable of the sower. So the Lord is explaining this parable. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. See, God speaks to the heart. That is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into the stony place is the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because, the, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the curse of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The Lord's saying it's into the heart falls the seed. What is the seed? Well, the seed is the word of God. The word of God falling in. The Lord says, I will speak comfortably with the gospel. I will send it forth and they will receive it into their hearts. And of course, we will bear fruit for that. Then again, the Lord gives us another parable about a man in verse 24. Put forth another parable and saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now let your eye run down. Let your eye run right down to verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Leaven is usually spoken of false doctrine, but here it gives the idea of a woman putting leaven in a bread and it just going right through it. And this is again the kingdom of God starting to spread with the word of God and the children of God. And the whole nations will hear before his return. Let your eye run down again. Verse 37. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. In other words, he's speaking of himself, the Lord Jesus. The field is the world. Now, I notice this. First of all, the good seed was the word of God in our hearts. Notice what he says here, verse 38. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Can you see that? The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked. The enemy hath sowed them, that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are, his angel, are the angels. As therefore... The tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. You know what Jesus is saying? Do you remember the man who takes the handful, the scattered, the dispersed, the diaspora, who takes a handful of wheat, throws it into the air, but the real grain falls back down again and the chaff is taken away. When Christ returns, we are not coming to be raptured, as it were, and taken to heaven. We will be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will change and we, like solid grain, will come back to the earth again. And that which is ungodly and unsaved will be gathered up the chaff, the tares, and burned in the fire. That's the idea of it. You and I are grain. We are wheat. Jesus said in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You're a real, you're a real Israelite. But you're a real Christian. Can I ask you, are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? Here's where we finish.
In verse 10, Peter says that those people which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Remember in Hosea, the Lord says, you're not my people, you'll not obtain mercy. He says, but now you've obtained mercy. Notice Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Yet the numbering of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the name of the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are, listen, the sons of the living God. My brothers and sisters, stay with me for two moments. I know this has been long tonight. Stay with me. He says, those who are saying, you're not my people, it'll come a time that the same people, or the, obviously it's generations later, that will say unto them in the same place, you're the sons of the living God. John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, that is Christ, it says, to them give he the power to become the sons of God. There's so much more. I'll have to do a third night. I'll start there, God will. To them give he power to become the sons of God. Thank God for his alluring, for his drawing of his spirit. Thank God for his comfortable words. Thank God for speaking to our hearts. Thank the Lord for the precious blood. Thank the Lord for the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God that came to us. Thank the Lord that we're born again. Thank the Lord that we know him tonight, that he's our savior. Thank the Lord that there was no mercy, now we'll find mercy. Thank the Lord that Christ has died for us and shed his most precious blood to redeem us. Thank the Lord tonight, brothers and sisters, and we'll praise him and we'll worship him and we'll sing his praises and let Donna Cloney know that Christ is Lord indeed. You are the sons of the living God and you're the daughters of the living God. You're redeemed with precious blood. Praise the name of Jesus. Will anybody say amen to that? I've preached my heart out to you. Would you say amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Gary, would you lead us and we'll go home. Blessed be his holy name then.